Hello, all you reinventors. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and I am the founder of this podcast and the founder of Cubby Club, a space that we hold for you while you figure out is what is next in your life. And this podcast is designed to give you some inspiration and some tactical tips for reinventing. And today I am bringing to you a friend of mine, longtime friend, Claudia Dreyfus, who is a very fabulous writer and a professor up at Columbia University, who has written for me before at various magazines, and who has just had such an interesting life where she has reinvented both parts of her life. She says she had the world's worst year one year where everything fell apart and she had to get rid of the boyfriend the house her job left and she had to start over and she did and she said it's the beginning of the best part of her life so i want you to listen to this podcast and hear the wonderful things that can happen when you're somebody who gets out there doesn't let the walls go up you go over the walls, wherever they're put up, because they will show up. And who has reinvented both parts of her life all at once. So I want you to hear that. So join Claudia Dreyfus and I now. Claudia, I am so thrilled that you are doing my podcast. You are one of my favorite, most inspirational women out there. You've done so much with your life. Thank you so much for being on our Covey Club cast. I appreciate it. Well, that it. feeling, Leslie Jane, is mutual. I, your career so inspires and it keeps going. Well, it's a mutual admiration society. So let's get everybody to understand why. Um, let's talk a little bit about your history um, very briefly, just so people understand where you're coming from. Where did you grow up? And I, what was your what was the beginning of your your career path? Well, I grew up in New York. I went to NYU in the 60s. Uh, I became a journalist almost from the time I was 18 when my first magazine stories were published. I was very active in the civil rights movement and I decided that the way I could be most active was to be a writer. So that's uh -huh. what I did. Um, writing for magazines about how the world was changing throughout the 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s things started really changing within magazines at, at that point. And as you know, Leslie Jane, it became less and less viable. Right. So were you making a living as a, a writer for many years? Yes, I was. I, I thought one of my major accomplishments was that I made a living as a freelance writer. Let me talk money. Yes. I would get between four and $8,000 for a long magazine piece. And that, oh, those were the days. I those were that. the days. <laughs> Today, because of the internet, because of the destruction of the magazine yeah. world and of newspapers, right, uh, right. $500 is a good fee. So it's not a viable um, way to make a living. And I write mostly nowadays because I want to get a message out. I want to shine some light on something I really care about. 
but it's not my primary living. My primary living is as a educator. I teach at Columbia University. Talk about how you made that segue from writer to educator and what was that like? Did you have to go back and get another degree? Did you, how did you make that transition? Well, for starters, to go back to the 1980s, I covered the farm crisis of the 1980s. And one of the things the farmers told me was that it was really important to have different crops in different fields. So, um, you know, they don't plant just corn, they have another field with soybeans in it, and they keep cattle. And I thought that was a good lesson for my economic life, even as a freelance writer. And I love teaching. I, I had been teaching writing uh, even as far as early as the 70s. So I just kept, I taught at City College of New York in the graduate English program for the 90s. And then I went to Columbia and I was able to teach because of my experience as a journalist, not because I had a lot of advanced degrees. Um, I was a professor of practice in essence, rather than of the liberal arts. Although we do a lot of liberal arts in my class because it's a journalism class is about philosophy. It's about ideas. It's about the things you see as well as knowing literature, knowing psychology, knowing people. It, it's the ultimate liberal arts. Um, anyway, I, I always enjoyed it. I always got a lot of feedback. I loved being with people younger than myself. I loved sharing my experiences and sharing skills. So um, it's, it's kept me from getting old. Um, yeah. And in my household, we're not even allowed to use the OLD word. My husband's 92. And <laughs> when I say old, he says, don't even talk that way. <laughs> so, but you didn't have to get, I thought you had to have a master's degree to teach. You do, but I don't. Level. You do. Oh. <laughs> but I don't. I, I mean, I don't tell people. Um, that That's a secret between us. Okay. Uh, I, I, I wasn't a particularly good student when I was a student either. You know, way back in the 60s, I was too busy going on freedom rides. Um, but so Columbia isn't even a school I could have gotten into when I was a kid. But I, I get very high ratings from my students and, um, and I get so much from them. So it's a two-way street. How would people, I, cause I think teaching, I've taught a little tiny bit and I find it incredibly, incredibly rewarding and something to have in your back pocket because oh, it I, does, it does keep you young and it does keep you connected at any point in your life. Absolutely. I mean, go ahead. So talk about that. Well, I, you know, I was doing it all along. And now when I see this incredible financial uh, cataclysm happening in the publishing industry. I'm so grateful that I had these other, you know, my, my back feels planted with corn uh, because I can do more teaching and, and I've sped that up for myself um, as, as the journalism has shrunk. Um, I, it's not that I'm not a journalist anymore. It's just that the whole field has been through such a transformation that it isn't a living. I mean, I used to write for you, Leslie Jane, at your magazines, and you paid a wonderful living and it was great fun. 
but those magazines were decimated. Yeah, I think the last ones died yesterday. I just saw Barry Diller killed all of Meredith this week, I think. After Meredith killed all of everything yes. else. Yes. <laughs> it's a mutual it's sort of like one of those folk tales where the, you know, right. where the wolf gets eaten by the bear, et cetera. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Talk a little bit about what you teach and how that changed over the years. Did it, did it, was it just by things you were interested in or things you were good at? Or did you, did, did you just meet people who said, oh, you should come teach this? I mean, if people are thinking about this, where would they be looking to make that segue? And you probably did it concurrently. Yes. So you had a side hustle in teaching and now it's become the, the big thing, right? Well, it's the main hustle. I think, uh, although I, I think people at Columbia would be appalled to call it a hustle. Um, it, let's say where teaching was in the background for me for most of those years and journalism was the main thing, that's reversed now. Uh, and the fact that I was doing it for a lot of years uh, helped me do that. You know, I'm teaching more than I than I did in the past, more hours, more special programs. For instance, this weekend, I'm giving a uh, all-day workshop or all-morning workshop in writing op-eds. And my students are students in the sciences at Columbia. So they come from across the university. They're graduate students in the sciences. And one of my goals is to teach scientists how they can communicate better through op-eds, letters to the editor, and blog posts, because these things are open to them. And uh, But they write like academics, which, forgive me, is something that most people don't want to read. So I teach them how to write like people in the real world write. Um, it's not that academic writing is in itself bad, it has its own purpose, but it doesn't translate outside of the university community very well. And I want they I feel they have important stories to tell. And they should tell them, but they need some skills. And that's so, my so how did the original teaching as a side hustle did you say to yourself, oh, I want to teach this and go find the teaching jobs? Or did they come to you through conversations or did it? So we're talking about like the 70s and okay. there were always jobs for people teaching journalism who were prominent in journalism at all. I taught one course at my alma mater, NYU, I think in the early 70s. Then I taught another course at the YW for people who wanted to learn how to do journalism. And I developed a curriculum that involved teaching easier things like op-eds, which even then were just beginning, but were short. Um, and then I developed a curriculum when I began teaching a graduate English program at City, um, that is the City University in New York. Uh, I developed a curriculum that involved different steps, op-eds, writing about your own life, writing about uh, doing an investigative piece, doing an interview. And, you know, that, that it wasn't like I was saying, you're going to be a journalist. I was saying, learn these skills because they can be useful to you, whatever you do. And uh, so I think, for instance, for some of your listeners, 
one way in is to look at community colleges and at WISE and places like that, which look for people with skills that will be, you know, add value to a degree. And a lot of these community colleges also have adult education programs. And that's kind of actually, when I think about it, where I began. Um, but I, you know, I teach in a full academic degree convening program, a conferring program, and uh, my students are master's and doctoral students. I have none of those degrees. <laughs> Nobody finds out. <laughs> oh, I hope they're not listening to I hope they're not <laughs> listening <laughs> to the um, but I, I, I think, um, I think my experience over the years counts for as much perhaps as an advanced degree. Sure, absolutely. And what do you think of students today? Have you seen them change over time? What's good? What's bad? I mean, everybody shakes their head. You know, every education's wasted on the young. The whole thing. Oh, I don't do believe that. that. Oh, good. Talk about I, it. I, I. I I think the students are in many ways better than the people I went to school with and that they're, um, they're much more idealistic and they care about the world much more. Uh, I enjoy learning somewhat a little about their lives. I think they lead much better. Uh, I stay in touch with my students very often and um, I think they lead much wiser, better lives as women, as men. They make good marriages. They uh, love their children. Their children are wanted. Um, they marry later. They marry in their 30s. And I'm so uh, pleased with uh, having connections with the young people who are leading their lives in a wonderful way. Um, and, and they want to do good. That's uh, great. I, Talk, I, I know you got a degree in one of the programs where I teach. Yes. And, and I, you know, if the idealism of your, your colleagues must have impressed you. Was wonderful. Yes. No, I was totally blown away and blown away by how serious they were and by, yeah, by their, uh, by their optimism. Yeah. One and, of my, just to give you an example. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Leslie. No, no, go ahead. One of my students from last semester, he uh, just got a huge grant uh, in of over a million dollars to create um, uh, sort of electric chargers for electric cars out of lampposts. Wow, that's crazy. And he wrote an essay in my class about how um, the pandemic and becoming a father charged his own idealism and his own commitment to do something about climate change. Wow, what a great what a great and crazy idea. Yeah. That's so I, you know, I, I've got students like that. What could be better? That's incredible. Let's talk about the other half of your reinvention, which you mentioned to me, because you're you're not reinventing just on the career side. You're well, inventing on your personal life as well. Well, I've been uh, with my current husband for almost a quarter of a century, but it was a late life marriage and a late life relationship. And like many people in my cohort, I had a college marriage that was probably not the wisest thing, but that was true in the 60s. People did that. It's a hangover of the 50s. And 
Um, my students don't do that, which is very nice. But when I, I had a year around 1992 where everything in my life changed I, and not particularly for the good, I had the best job in the world, I lost it. I had a house by the seashore in Sag Harbor. I really couldn't keep it going. Um, I broke up with a boyfriend who was not good for me. And all of these things happened at once. And it was like, you know, the trifecta of personal change. And that was the beginning of my life getting better, um, my mm. personal life anyway. <laughs> uh, everything changed. And um, I started instead writing about science for the New York Times instead of doing the interviews I had been doing for the Sunday magazine. And um, that was like a whole new world opening for me. Selling the house was like getting rid of an albatross because owning a house in the country, if you're a city person, uh, is just a nightmare. I mean, uh, they have these things in the country, vines that grow and eat your sewage system. And, um, you know, I was not up for any of that. Um, so I sold the house, got rid of the bad boyfriend and met my current husband who um, is wonderful. And we have a wonderful, wonderful relationship. He too is a professor at age 92 um, and he's writing his 18th book. And uh, I, I'm convinced that late life marriages are the, are really a good thing. I, I think for people in our cohort, now, Leslie Jane, I know you have a good marriage, but I think people in my cohort often married foolishly and too young. Um, and so it's a chance to use the wisdom of life in a better way. And I know we have. So what would you say got you through? Looking back, you had this horrific year where everything fell apart. And a, a lot of my listeners experience that. They're going to have a bad year when everything seems to just all explode at once. What got you through that? Was that an inner strength that you had? Did you go to psychotherapy? Did you have great friends? What, what got you through it looking back? All three. All three. All three? I, I'm a plier plow ahead kind of person. And I kind of just blindly push and keep going. And that's one of my personal strengths. Uh, and it's also part of what makes me a good reporter. Um, but, you know, when, when, you know, that old cliche, when life hands you lemons, make lemonade, I did. And, um, and there's another cliche about, um, crisis being opportunity, it is. You have to look around, you have to see what's possible and you have to try different things, but not one thing, many different things. You know, that old metaphor about the farmer in the various fields, you gotta plant in different fields so that one of them bears fruit. Do you think that that's kind of the way that you have to do everything today? Like. I often think the big mistake, and I think my generation made this, was to put all your seeds in the one field. I and think, yeah. think that was going to be everything forever. I mean, whoever thought that magazines were going to disappear, right? Right. Who, whoever thought we needed a new field, we didn't. But it, it's possible. Let's add to that newspapers, magazines and newspapers. Yes. yes. There are thousands of journalists out of work at, at a time in their life when uh, 
the best they can do is take a buyout or retire early. And I've seen a lot of that uh, among our friends. Um, and I think the thing you have to do is plan in advance. Um, you know, I didn't see newspapers and magazines collapsing, but I did plant in other fields anyway. Hmm. Is that just your personality or are you just, yeah, just well, eclectic? I, I, I like to do a lot of things in my life. I mean, that mm -hmm. those two things aren't the only things I do. I, I do some public speaking. I would host um, seminar guests at the 92nd Street Y in New York, which is a lovely venue. Um, I would give talks on women's uh, rights issues. Uh, I, you know, in the 70s, I went around and gave talks. Uh, my husband and I did a book on uh, higher education and what's wrong with it. And uh, we, we gave talks and traveled to campuses, although, you know, not a lot of people are going to hire you to tell you that they're doing things wrong. Um, <laughs> you know, right. what's wrong with this place? Here's a check. Right. No, right. they don't do that. Uh -huh. um, but we did some of that. Um, and, you know, I debated college presidents and, um, and I, you know, I just like to do a lot of things. I'm really a very active person and, and I, I, um, I'm interested in a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And how do you look at- I've read books too. <laughs> how do you look at age, Claudia? Do you just ignore age or how do you, a lot of women feel that, oh, they can't do this because they're, you know, past their prime or they didn't study this when they were in their 20s, so they can't do that. There's a sense of, I guess it's mindset that they, they, they let the age prejudice get into their heads and they allow it to, to block them. How come that didn't happen for you? Well, you know, for those women, I have to say, if you've been discouraged from fully participating all your life, when aging and maybe some health issues come in, um, you'll be, it shouldn't be a big surprise that it's a discouraging situation. The thing is that I don't accept what society puts down on, on women, particularly. Um, when my, my husband was widowed in himself in the early 90s, you know, people invited him out and tried to fix him up with people. But when I broke up with my longtime boyfriend, people didn't do that for me. Um, and there is a difference in how society treats older men and women. But do you have to take it? Do you have to accept it? I don't think so. And anyway, I don't feel OLD. And <laughs> um, I, I'm fortunate with a good genetic shakedown in that I, I guess I probably don't look like my age that much, but I did notice that at a certain point in society noticed that I was older and was ignoring me. I oh. mean, I, I'd go into shops and you couldn't get service. And, you know, people yeah. sort of acted like you should stay home and die. Um, right. uh, you know, the invisibility of it bothered me but it doesn't anymore because I don't take it. I don't accept it. Do you think we've come uh, any distance at all between how you've seen people treat older women in the last 10 years, 20 years? I mean, I wonder, I feel like it's the last taboo 
yeah. in many ways that it's okay to treat people badly if they're older. Well, the yeah, one, right now, the one thing left, right? It's not just women. It's a very good question right. you're asking. But, you know, right now in the COVID discussion, when you hear people say, let's lift masking, let's lift mandates, because the only people who are really affected are the old in the immune right. compromise. Right. What they're saying is that the old are dispensable. Right. And it's really disgusting. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I'd like to see the AARP get out and, and counter that because it is bad and it is wrong. And I think the way society just treats older people in general and then older people are overwhelmingly women um, is, is a very serious, difficult issue. Uh, and, I, you know, you're right, it's the last taboo. Why is Social Security funded in the way it is and is not fully adequate? I think because most of the beneficiaries are women and society doesn't care. Really? So you think that's why the push has not been on there? How interesting. Yes, because we are going to outlive the men. Yeah. By I mean, currently, yeah, a lot by almost a decade now. So, yeah, so aging is a women's issue. Wow. And the way we treat our elderly uh, is, is a women's issue. Let me say, the other side of it is there is such a question as health. I'm lucky because I'm pretty healthy, um, but I, some older people do need help right. and because they're not that healthy and they're not able to work in the work world. I, you know, there are many, I have many issues with my parents, as many of us do, but I got a good set of genes from them. So I'm lucky. How about age in the academic world? Is it, is it, it seems to be less of a problem or am I just looking at it from the outside? Well, I think it's, if you have tenure, it's not a problem at all. You can stay forever. Uh, uh -huh. I'm not sure that's a good idea. My husband opposes tenure and he retired at 65 and started teaching as an adjunct so they could hire two young people in, with his salary. Um, uh -huh. uh, and But uh, I think it's really good for my students to see me uh, at my stage active they don't you know young people in our society don't have a lot of contact with other generations we're a very generationally segregated society Correct. and what the students get when they see me i think modestly speaking is a role model about how to age yes yeah definitely i think you're right i mean absolutely you're totally inspirational that way and I, well, I don't tell people my energy, age. but Not I love your energy, your energy. Like I could put you up against any 25 year old. You have the, the energy of like a 25 year old, in my, my opinion. Well, maybe not in a race, you know, three mile race, but no, I don't mean like <laughs> that, but I mean, emotional energy and yeah. psychic energy and all that. Yeah. So as, as we close Claudia, um, do you have any sort of life tips or tricks that you can pass on to the listeners who want to maybe use, maybe start thinking about academia as something maybe they should side hustle now that they're in their 
late 40s or early 50s and think about it as something going forward. Are well, there any tips yeah. and tricks and it could even be a don't do's and don'ts list? Well, I think broadly speaking, um, be a generalist, look around, look for what I tell my students who want to be writers or enter the media is look for cracks in the system because the system isn't always very friendly to newcomers, but there are always ways around that. And I think that's true for older people too. Uh, look for anomalies, look for things that are new, uh, take some risks. Um, if you have some kind of financial background, um, I mean money in the bank, um, do it, you, that will give you uh, some kind of a chance to try different things and maybe things that aren't so lucrative, but that could give you a sense of where you want to go. Uh, for instance, right now, a lot of people are having trouble breaking into the media, but they're doing things like um, blogs. And that's one way if you have the money to do that full time and to finance it in a nice way, uh, you can start getting published. You don't have to wait for to run a magazine that's going to be put out of business. Uh, <laughs> you know? uh, but it's a way of getting noticed. And um, but it, to do it right takes an investment and you have to. Mm -hmm. Here's a cliche, but it's really true. You have to invest in yourself. Mm -hmm. don't invest in trips abroad even though they might be wonderful well right now we can't so take all that money that you've saved not going anywhere during the pandemic and invest it in yourself and in your career and then if you want to do teaching specifically would you recommend that they start finding an adjunct spot somewhere well that's all college? that's open really uh-huh um, okay but Yes. Now, adjunct spots pay terribly, but um, I think the community colleges are a good place to start. Mm -hmm. um, high schools, too, even working mm -hmm. as a temp, uh, yeah. sub teacher. Um, I, you know, I think there is some issues the way temps are treated, but um, it's a it's a way in and. Mm -hmm. um, I say try many different things. Try the different doorways and see which yeah. one is unlocked, right? Right. Awesome. Claudia, thank you. As always, you are such an inspiration. I love, I love the fact that you've reinvented both sides of your life. And um, I, just, I just think it's perfect for this podcast. So thank you for joining us. Well, it's always great to see how you're reinventing your life. I mean, you you don't take you're you're one of those I don't take no people. <laughs> there we go. Okay. Thank you. Thank take you care. so much, Claudia. Bye bye. Thank you all for joining this conversation with Claudia and me. It was so wonderful to talk to somebody I admire for so long. And I think she's such a great inspiration to all of us. If you enjoy the podcast, please give us a rating of five stars or leave us a review. Share us with friends who are trying to reinvent. We really don't think that you should try to do that by yourself. It's too lonely and too hard. And if you're serious about your reinvention, 
mosey on over to cubbyclub.com we have all kinds of things for you we have calendars that you can fill in that will give you step-by-step reinvention for a month we have articles from people who have reinvented we have articles about how to do your own create your own brand everything that you need if you come from corporate life or you're coming from being a mom and you're trying to reinvent now whatever it is you need we're the your one-stop reinvention uh shopping place for all in ideas and inspiration and also tactical advice come visit us over at coveyclub.com and also join us again for the next cast the next episode of reinvent yourself with leslie jane seymour see you then